G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome to our first special episode on payments. Now, before you roll your eyes because you think there's nothing new under the sun where payments are concerned, wait till you hear the story of how two great Australian startups are transforming the payments landscape. We'll start off talking with John Bush and Walter Cassie, co-founders of EasyShare, who share their incredible vision for making shared social payments easy as. Then Twister chats with Mario Hasanakis, whose startup Spriggy is educating the youngest Australians to become financially aware and secure. Yes, these are both payment startups, and they're showing us that the payments landscape is changing in ways no one had even predicted a few years ago. So we're going to get stuck into an amazing new landscape on this first payment special episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Now, this is normally the point where I thank our sponsors, and I'll do that in just a minute. But in the interest of transparency, I want to share with you what's going on. Twista has a series-long sponsorship deal with Braintree Payments, and they have asked for us to do a few specials about payments with no strings attached. So Twista is free to tell the stories we want to tell about payments because Braintree thinks it's important that we all think about payments a bit more. And I have to say that I agree because payments are important. So while we'll have the two normal ad breaks on this show, and they'll both be for Braintree Payments, this isn't advertorial. We aren't trying to sell you anything. Our goal is to help you learn a bit more about payments. And a big shout out to Braintree, code for easy online payments, because they've made this show possible. We often don't think about how frequently payments become a part of our lives. They're actually woven into the day-to-day domestic part of our lives. And this is the part of payments that's effectively invisible because it's meant to be seamless, except maybe when it doesn't work right or when you have some conflict about it or when the payment fails when it shouldn't have failed. And then all of these payments that are invisible become very visible and they become pain points. We're talking to the first guests on our payment special today who have focused in on one of the most obvious pain points. But I have to tell you, until I heard them pitch, I didn't understand exactly how obvious it was. John Bush and Walter Cassie are the co-founders of EasyShare, which is a startup running out of the Stone and Chalk Accelerator here in Sydney. You've already heard us speak to Alex Scandera on an earlier episode. Now we're going to dig in with them and talk about the real domestic nature of payments. John, Walter, welcome. Thanks, Mark. So tell us in brief what EasyShare does. Okay. I think you covered that really well in the introduction and um, by a link to what we actually do. I, like many, was in my 20s sharing a share house Mm -hmm. with a bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. So we got together, took the keys and, and off we went. And after the dust settles and the beers are cold in the fridge and you get to a situation where you're living, mm. uh, someone had to assume the role of, of call it the household financier mm. and treasurer. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that became my job. Uh, we internally, we call it the spreadsheet guy and being an accountant by trade, <laughs> I was naturally the spreadsheet guy. You were born to this, right. That's right. So, um, so I did that monthly job. I did that, that the task of reconciling. I did the task of actually making the payments. They were all coming in and out of my bank account. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that exact reason, I suppose at the end of that experience, I went looking for a better way. I went looking for a better way during the experience, but also at the end of it, 
Um, okay, so we went looking for a better way because all, there are all of these different tasks, plus, of course, having to chase up the flatmates to make sure that they've contributed their share. Correct. Right, and so there's an there's an element here that isn't just paperwork. There's an element that's actually quite human facing and can be very unpleasant. Correct, correct. So when you took a look out there, what did you see? Um, there were a lot of splitters. So uh, that is the the the, re the record keeping, the bookkeeping mm -hmm. to to bring you know uh, as an accountant I might use that word to bring the bookkeeping. There was a lot of available apps to do that, right? But none that were actually going through and executing the payments. So we are not only having a, 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 I suppose, not an IOU because we're not actually doing that, but with our app, the users enter um, the rental split, for mm. instance, to mm. get down into, into the detail of mm. what it does. So mm -hmm. let's say our rental split is $900 a week for, for an apartment and mm. it's a three bedroom. For simplicity, they enter the, the details of what that split was, will be. Mm -hmm. And not only do we record that transaction, we actually pull it out of everyone's bank accounts and pay it to the, the private landlord or the agent. So you've taken something that is, and has someone who has lived in a share house, because almost everyone has, who's gone to uni or whatever, is the, is the enormous pain point of actually living in a share house, and you've reduced it into a couple of taps on an app. Correct. Money... Money is, the, is by far the, the number one reason why people have a fallout in a share house. Yeah. What we wanted to do, and it's also the most boring part of living in a share house, let's right. face it. You don't want to be talking about money. It's awkward chasing people for money. Yeah. So what you want is to be able to have really good experiences and everybody pays their share, their fair share, and, and, and life goes on and, and you don't have to worry about it. And what we're set out to do is to automate that process and take the pain out of managing the household finances. Why didn't we have this 30 years ago when I was living in a share house? I mean, there's nothing. Is there a technical change or is it just that there's a penny drop around this? Is it the smartphone? I mean, now that you've explained it, I'm like, this is bloody obvious. Obviously, people have needed this for a long time. Well, look, it's, 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 first of all, it's a growing market. Right. Um, you know, affordability is, is a global problem, not just in Australia. And there's an increase of people living together. It's no longer just about, you know, you finish school, you finish uni, and you get your first job and move in together. People are living for much longer than that. They're actually raising sometimes, you know, we have customers that are raising families within a share house. Right. You know, single mothers living with other single mothers, for example, right. in a share house. Right. So it's become a, a, a bigger problem. Um, and I guess, you know, technology, the, the, the rise of fintech has allowed us now to, to be able to, you know, be agile and build something um, around, uh, the, you know, around payments uh, and, and, and I guess to, to build a platform for us to be able to do that. It's very difficult, um, you know, to, to the, the, the process... Um, the process of splitting payments and taking finance has to be super, super easy, mm. right? Well, and because you're often dealing with people who aren't very sophisticated in how they manage money. That's right. So for us, the challenge is, okay, we're trying to solve that problem, but how do we solve a big problem in, this, in the most simplified way possible? Because we don't want to create another problem. Which is, it's too complicated <laughs> yeah. for people to onboard. Correct. Right. So that is a challenge for us. And every day we question ourselves, can we simplify can we rip this apart and, and, and just simplify and simplify and simplify? Okay, so what are the kinds of, I mean, obviously rent is the sort of first thing that people think about when they're thinking about dividing the payments. What are the other kinds of payments that people would divide in the household? Uh, utility bills. Right. Uh, we've got Foxtel, yeah. utility bills, 
even down to the pay TV. Mm-hmm. So our, our core are around utilities, rent and utilities. Okay. So your energy bill, your recurring bills for, for your internet, gas, etc. Do you have people thinking that maybe they're going to have, for instance, the pizza bill or something like that that's going to get divided? Can you, I guess, arbitrarily add things to the bill? To, it's like, oh, this month I've got to add the pizza that we all bought or... Yep, and that's the beauty. So we've been speaking to every one of our customers who are currently using our our desktop kind of or, or web application or desktop application, and we're building in features into our app. So so we've got an expenses slash IOU function that's going into the app, and that's where not only with pizzas, someone's gone out and done some grocery shopping, right. and they need to be paid back from the other housemates. Right. So that would go back, they would upload that expense, and then the other housemates would be notified that they owe you know housemate A back some money and they would just press pay now and that'll all be settled up through the app. And that really then removes all the resistance. You know, why would I go shopping for you guys? You never pay me back for Correct. every time I do the shopping. And so it means that, in fact, not only is there more harmony in the household, but it actually gives people a lot more capacity in the household. So have you done sort of before and after surveys to find out whether household happiness in a share house is higher after Easy Share gets installed? Uh, well, we, we, we actually have, and, and like John mentioned, you know, we, we've spoken to and we continue to speak to all of our customers. Mm. And as said, it's made it a lot simpler. Um, and also we've given them an extra method you know, to, you know, for payment. So, for example, on our, on our platform, you can pay by a credit card and also direct debit. Mm-hmm. So you give people more choice. There's more likability you know, for them to actually pay their bills on time as well. Um, and uh, you know, and everybody that we have spoken to of our customers have said, "Guys, you make my life really easy." You know, does it also then make those folks better managers of their own money? Does it help them sort of get a sense of where their own money is going? Yes, but in essence, they don't have to manage it anymore because we manage it for them. You're listening to this week in Startups Australia Payment Special. We will be right back. <laughs> Hi, this is Mark. I just have a few more words about Twista's special episode sponsors, Braintree, code for easy online payments. Now, entrepreneurs around the world have used Braintree as a simple way to accept PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's next. And with a single scalable integration, Braintree will give you robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world, making your global expansion a snap. Using Braintree, it's as easy as integrating a few lines of code, getting your business up and running fast. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com twista. And we're back with John Bush and Walter Kazi of Easy Share. All right, so I can see how this is going to work in a share house with a bunch of roommates. Would this also work, say, if I had a share office or some sort of shared space where people were working together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the core fundamental of what we do is to collect from a few and consolidate and pay a third party. So if, you're, if you have an office, you're in an office environment, there's shared expenses, mm-hmm. um, whether it be the rent or whether it be you know, uh, stationary or whatever it is, we, we can, you can absolutely do that on our platform. And in fact, we have a product right now um, and we've diversified into that commercial space and that was born out of customers wanting to use it for, for their businesses. So that they can offer the same service. So it's essentially a white label then? Yeah, so it's doing two things. First of all, to the business owner, it's giving them the opportunity to pay rent, say, by a credit card. For mm-hmm. some, you know, points are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have the ability to be able to pass on some of those costs um, to their subtenants who are not officially subtenants. 
Um, <laughs> right. Well, you know, they're not on paper as such, but right. they're sharing space. Right. Um, and they have the ability to be able to share any expense down, that, down the line. So this is almost, I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't think, have, do you think of EasyShare as a sharing economy company? Because it sounds in some ways like, in fact, you're actually providing a payments layer for a sharing economy then. Yeah, 100%. Um, it, it's... Look, you know, the sharing economy is no longer, it's, it's no longer just focused on, on, on consumers. Um, right. Businesses are now starting to share. You know, everybody is sharing. If we, can, if we can reduce the expense and share it amongst others and reduce wastage, then absolutely, let's, let's, let's jump on board. And we certainly have. And, um, you know, we, we, we went down that path because there was a demand for it. Now, what does it take as a startup to take a business that is doing payments and then glue it into a payments infrastructure? Because this is the thing, is there are well-established payment infrastructures that we don't as consumers ever see because they're always hidden behind things. But you as a startup have to be able to integrate and select what payment systems you're integrating to. How hard was that work to do? It's a big investment up front. As with most most things that are fintech, it's hard to just kind of, for lack of a better word, bootstrap something together and say, oh, we're going to go and put that into the marketplace and see if we get any traction. You can't do that with a payments business. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, the security issues aside, you're absolutely right. You would not be able to do that. That's right. I mean, how do you go to market with an MVP that doesn't work? It just doesn't exist. So... um, Right. People like their money and they don't want it to disappear because you have a bug. That's exactly right. So, um, So that investment in both technology and mm-hmm. and human capital in putting that together a lot of it's done up front mm-hmm. a lot of it's done up front and then you know with the hope of uh, sorry. Yeah, no, that was fine you can stop there so does that then mean that as a startup you required a front-loaded amount of investment a front-loaded seed capital to be able to get you to a fully realized MVP yeah yeah, absolutely. So seed capital is one thing, and the next thing is you have to wear a lot of hats as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're lucky in our circumstance that um, from a co-founder's perspective, we each take care of different aspects of the business. And what do you each do? I'm more uh, product-focused mm-hmm. in terms of the actual payment and the build of the products. And, and uh, yeah, look, I'm focusing on sales, marketing, and, and strategy. Okay. All right, so that's a really natural differentiation. Yeah, and we have healthy discussions. You know, Walter and I, Walter gets involved on the product side mm-hmm. and, and as does sales and marketing, and I sure as, you know, I get on, on, on yeah. their case in well, terms of distribution be- as well. And because you're customer-facing, you are actually hearing people talk about what they want or don't want in the product because of the sales yeah, aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Look, one of the things which uh, which we truly believe by, and, and I think this, this would be advice that I would give to any entrepreneur, and, and that is assume nothing. You know, assumption really is can be can be the number one cause of failure. So, so we don't work in silos in terms of our department, right. and we certainly don't work in silos in what we're building. We're always out. We're asking questions, asking our customers or, or what who we think and perceive future customers as well, and we take that on board. You know, we 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 don't just build stuff that we think are going to work. So let's talk about the customers. I, you know. I, I had a very interesting experience the day before recording this. I met my landlord, which in Australia never happens, right? You always meet the rental agent and their agency. You never meet the landlord. The landlord came and rang the bell. Mm. I was like, I, he, was, he was perfectly fine, but I'm just like, this is one of these weird moments. Because in Australia, there's always that layer there between the renter and the landlord. 
there's always this middle person. This middle person, it seems like, is the ideal sales point for something like Easy Share because they're constantly dealing with the fact that they're renting to share houses and if if the finances are messy in the share house then it's going to be messy for them. So does that mean that we're going to see adoption more maybe driven by rental agents in a lot of ways than by people who are living in share houses? Well look Mark I'll answer that question without I suppose we're throwing some numbers around but without boring you too much um, there's about you know four for three to four million, uh, four million properties, uh, rental properties in Australia, right. and about twenty four percent of those are uh, leased out to private, you know, privately. Right. So there are landlords; uh, they're actually managing their own properties. So about a quarter of them. So, yeah, All yeah. Right. So um, and, and that's a really good market for us mm-hmm. because we want to target those. Payments is a, is a is a is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those will turn up to your door and collect cash, but others rely on you depositing depositing the money in your account. Right. So we give them a, you know a, pl- a, a platform where they can actually manage their rental ledger, just like a real estate agent, right. but a very simplified one. Again. Um, so it's it's a it's something that we're actually building out right now. So you are okay. So that twenty five percent who are actually managing their own properties don't have a tool level support. They've had to roll their own in a lot of ways. And what Easy Share is allowing them to do is to have tools that will support them in their business, especially around the payment side. Yeah. Right. So it's well, that's really the, I that's mean, the, the side that the, matters. The the role the role the role you own as a private landlord. Um, could be as raw as opening up your bank statement yeah. and making sure that the two, three um, tenants have paid each of their respective portions every fortnight. So uh, yeah, so we're, we're providing that layer in between them. Yeah. And rolling your eyes because you realize you've got to call one of them because this is the one that's habitually late. And you know, I mean, it's, it's not just looking at the bank statement, it's then having to follow up on Correct. everything, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, this, it's similar to the situation in a share house, but at a, at a, at a different level. Okay, so you now have, I mean, I can now see at least two markets where you have people who are living in the share houses, and then you also have the landlord for people who have rental properties. Are there other areas, and we, we, we talked a little bit about how businesses can share expenses. Are there other areas where you see this kind of sharing, this um, sort of like this payment sharing becoming valuable in the future? Yeah, we're, uh, we're just... Uh, having a discussion at the moment with an apparel company. So this company targets you know, teams who want to who want to purchase jerseys and what have you. So for us, um, you know, we, we target the team manager mm-hmm. uh, rather than having them collect from all the players. We manage that process for them, and we facilitate the payments for uh, you know for for those teams to be able to buy their jerseys. Um, this is huge. I mean, that's a, I mean that that's another whole thing. I had never even mm-hmm. thought about that. But of course, we've all been part of some organization, and everyone gets the team jersey or jacket or whatever, and it happens all the time. And it's always again, there's that one person who has to run around and collect the money from everyone and the whole thing. Yeah. So it's just using that same take from many, pay yeah. to one, yeah. and then and then replicate across different verticals and different uh, segments. So your job then is to make it as easy as possible to be able to set one of these up, so that if I want to do it, I mean, I can see it being a bit of work if I'm doing it for a household, but if I'm doing it for a one-off like this, it should really, I should be able to get it in a minute or two, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and again, it's it's always, we don't want to create another problem by trying to solve one. Right. So it's always about how do we make it super easy. Now, are you only in Australia at this point? 
Uh, at the moment, yes, we are. This is, uh, uh, you know, we're building an iOS and Android app, which we launch with in, in, in mid-October. Mm-hmm. So we're, uh, we're going to be spending the next few months after that learning everything that we can in Australia, and then we'll be launching. We have our eyesight on, on, you know, global. We have a global vision, mm-hmm. and we're looking at launching in other countries. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I can see, I mean, certainly in America and Canada and the UK, you can see exactly the same sorts of pain points, the same sorts of problems. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, you're. I mean, I, I, I can easily see any sort of collaborative or group payment being handled through EasyShare in the future, gentlemen. I think you probably are on a monster. We hope so. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we uh, we just want to you know make sure that we're we're focused at one market at the moment. It is the real estate market. Mm-hmm. It is the housing market. Mm-hmm. But then absolutely, you know, the, the the core fundamental of what we do can be applied across other industries. John, Walter, thank you very much for being on the payment special episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Hi, this is Mark. You're going to be hearing a lot about the services that are being offered by the startups on this show. If you want to learn more about them, I invite you to come to our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Find out more about EasyShare. Find out more about Spriggy. Maybe even sign yourself up for one of the Spriggy cards if you have kids and you want to start to teach them to use money. All of that information, plus our past podcasts and lots of other really useful data for startups, that's all on our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Now, we think of payments as being, oh, I don't know, probably dry, very standard. It's something that maybe a banker would think about and maybe an accountant would think about. But it's not something that, say, mom and pop would think about. And yet payments are, you know, the way business happens in the world. Whether you might be paying someone in cash, but more often you're probably using a credit card or point of sale, something or other. You might even be using some weird digital currency in a couple of years. And so all of that is now folded into the mix. The problem is that none of us really have the first idea how any of this works because no one bothered to tell us. Our next guest, Mario, oh goodness, Hasanakas. Okay, okay. Our next guest, Mario Hasanakas, has come up with a solution to that problem with his startup Spriggy. Mario, welcome to this week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. So, tell us what Spriggy is doing. Spriggy is a tool to help parents teach kids about money. Our core product is a prepaid card for eight to eighteen-year-olds with a mobile app that parents and kids use together. So you mean a prepaid, prepaid card, do you mean sort of like a, uh, almost like a debit card? Totally, it's not linked to a bank account, it stands right. on its own. It's a Visa card, it's usable wherever Visa is accepted, mm-hmm. including PayWave. So why would it be important as a parent for me to give this to a kid? Well, as you mentioned in your intro, and we live in a world now where digital payments are almost ubiquitous. Mm. And there's this expectation that kids somewhere in their adolescence graduate from cash and a money box to being able to be the steward of a way to pay anywhere at any time in any amount. Right. And in addition, saving for a car or a home or a baby or all of these other things. And so is the sense now that, in fact, kids aren't learning any of that? 
The sense is that they learn it in a really piecemeal kind of way. Mm-hmm. You'll never stop a child from picking up lessons about money, mostly from just copying their parents. Right. But the challenge is that they're never really given true responsibility for what they do, so they never lose. You learn the compromises that come with having a finite amount of money that doesn't get topped up when you run out. <laughs> Which is the world that all of us adults <laughs> end up living in, unless we have credit cards, and then that can be a problem as well because you can end up with sort of insurmountable credit card debt because you didn't learn how to manage that level of debt. All right, so you've created a card that works in conjunction with a mobile app. Could you sort of step us through what that means? Well, the mobile app, in its first incarnation is a way for kids to be able to spend and then immediately have visibility on where they spent, both for themselves and their parents. Mm -hmm. So in the app, a parent or a child can log in and see a recent list of transactions in real time. Mm -hmm. Inside the app, parents and kids can segregate money from that amount which is spendable and available on the card to a different amount which is segregated and not available to spend, which we call their savings goals. Mm -hmm. And they can attach images and comments onto those savings goals as they accrue money towards them. So this could be my skateboard or my drone or my whatever I want. Yeah, absolutely. And kids are super visual these days. Mm -hmm. So having a picture and a regular reminder of it is super critical. And is this app... Is this happening on mom or dad's smartphone? Is it running on the kid's tablet? Where is it Where is it facing? Both. Okay. So both parents and kids have the app on their respective devices, and that can be on their personal phone or on a shared device in the family. And both parents and kids have separate logins. So kids have this full sense of responsibility that they control where their money goes. Right. And so it really is the sense that this is a private world for them and that helps them then get a sense that of, I guess, agency around this, that this is the world that they control. That's a great word for it. And something we learned in our early validation, that part of what makes kids so excited about the product is it really is a bargain where they have their own agency over money. Now, when I think about giving an eight-year-old a PayWave card, I think... How will that, does that eight-year-old know enough about how money works to be able to use what is effectively a magic source of paying for things uh, safely? Well, I think like most adult skills that you learn in pieces, it happens over time. Most of the eight-year-olds that use our product really don't carry the card around themselves at all. Right. Mom and dad carry it in the purse or wallet, and then they'll use the card whenever you're at point of sale with the child, just mm-hmm. bring it out and show them this is your money, this is being spent for your benefit. Let them have the experience of right. swiping, but then the card goes away. Over time, as the child demonstrates more competency and familiarity with money, you can progressively give them more and more responsibility with the card. How does money get into that card? We use direct debit, so mum or dad from any bank account mm-hmm. or debit card from another institution mm-hmm. can simply enter the amount they'd like to top up with mm-hmm. in the app and the funds are pulled electronically. So it's so it's very straightforward and because it's Visa, it's also straightforward in the fact that there's no hoops to go through when you're spending it. It's nothing on it's nothing weird. Mm, no, simple as the cards in your wallet. <laughs> Which is I guess both good and bad. Mm. All right. Is there Um, I think a sense out there with families that there is a gap between what kids need to know about how to manage their money and what parents are teaching them about how to manage money. Yeah, I think absolutely, particularly on the part of the parents. 
a lot of parents we've spoken to carry this real anxiety, keeps them up at night, worried that they're not doing everything they could be to help their kids be comfortable and understand money so that they won't make mistakes in their early adulthood mm-hmm. and be set up for success in older in older age. So do you expect then that, that a child who has this exposure early will consistently now think about their savings as, you know, this is the petty cash fund and this is the down payment and this is the... Do you expect that when they you set that pattern when they're young that it does carry through? What we found mostly is that even by providing the tools, you don't necessarily typecast patterns of behavior. What we find is why it's beneficial is because it provides responsibility and familiarity early. Mm -hmm. It is a tool to removing some of the anxiety that comes with money. Most, Most of us as adults carry around this fear that money is this quantitative symbol of all the ways we failed in life. But it's no comment. <laughs> <laughs> right, but 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 that's because, in a sense, we've shrouded it with mystery. Exactly, and money's just not that scary if you have a little bit of early familiarity and early experience with it. All right. So, does this? I mean, I guess the next question you have to ask is: if you make a child familiar with this, then won't the sophistication of the child, say by the time they're in their late teens, in some ways be exceeding the sophistication of their parents because they've had ingrained in them from an early age how to work with money? Yeah, I think so. We did some research way back when we first started Spriggy about trying to improve parent financial literacy. And how'd, we, that, how'd that go? Well, we came to a reasonably quick conclusion that parents didn't want to hear it. <laughs> Okay, and, and, and again, is this because money is too charged for them? Yeah, it carries a lot of emotion. So what we find that a big part of building Spriggy's user experience is not just helping educate younger people, right. but giving parents an easy pathway to improve their own skills, not just in their own money, but more specifically how to communicate some of the compromised decisions that come around money. But it's, I mean, it's the subtle backhand way of, of, of doing this, which is that if you present a framework that they teach their children, the parent will actually end up incorporating the framework themselves. I mean, in that sense, it's, it's genius. It's evil genius. <laughs> but it's genius because in order to teach something, you have to have embodied it. Yeah, absolutely. The number of times we hear from parents quietly as an aside after we've told them about Spriggy, can I get one of these for me? <laughs> Would surprise All us. right, well, that's... Okay, so so if we listen to the market there, well, <laughs> I, you know, is that the next logical place for Spriggy to go, managed cards for grown-ups? We have... Oh, maybe one day. We have so much we'd like to do in with kids and, and so much potential that we can help kids feel happier about money and grow up to have a happier relationship with money that... It seems a long way down the roadmap. Maybe one day. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi. This is Mark with a few final words about Twista's special episode sponsors, Braintree. They're providing code for easy online payments. Now, entrepreneurs like the ones on this program, like you out there, they have used Braintree as a simple way to accept a whole bunch of different kinds of payments, including PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and pretty much whatever's coming down the road next. So that with a single scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world that makes your global expansion a snap. And what it means is you don't have to think about your payments. Using Braintree, it's as easy as integrating 
creating a few lines of code. It gets your business up and running fast. If you want to learn more, please visit braintreepayments.com slash twista. And we're back with Maria Hasanakos talking about Spriggy. Okay, so we now are going to have a generation of kids who will become more financially literate. And you talked about, you know, all the different things that you could do. Is there, uh, if you make these kids financially capable enough, are you then also then creating a market eventually for new products and services that even the grown-ups in their lives may not be sophisticated enough to manage? We do think about that, that once someone's more familiar with financial products, less scared about the prospect of looking seriously at their money, it opens up a world of different ways that they can participate financially in Mm -hmm. their future. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the focus of what we do. I think more than anything, we'd like to, in some point in the future, to destroy our own need for ourselves. (laughs) Because you've educated everyone so well. But it, it would seem to me, in a world where we're moving more toward electronic payments and contactless payments, that in fact, rather than destroying your market, what you're doing is you're rising up to meet a defined, visible educational need on the market. And uh, I mean, I guess the question is why wouldn't a bank come along and offer exactly the same story? Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I think there's a couple reasons. We ask ourselves the same question pretty regularly. Mm. And I think where we land is their set of incentives doesn't support it. That Because they don't make a lot of money off of little banking accounts. There's just a time lag in the Mm. investment you have to make to serve this need, Mm -hmm. create more literate users Mm -hmm. who will then go on to consume a different set of products. That takes 10 years. Mm. And banks that are focused on a quarterly profit cycle and are at the pinnacle of this financial model where they profit off people's misunderstanding of their financial products. Right, because they're making money off the fees when you don't pay a credit card on time or when you keep a balance or mm. all of the, the things that if you're a good saver mm. because you've learned through Spriggy, then mm. you don't do. All right, so the, this is, I mean, it's interesting because it may not be that you're eliminating the need for Spriggy, but you may be eliminating some of the more popular revenue sources for the banks. And at the risk of contra- controversy, I mean, would that be so bad? I mean, I'd like to live in that world. Well, you don't. I mean, profiting from people's stupidity is not the most reliable of all business. Models. Well, actually, let me take that back. I mean, it's not the most admirable of business models. It might, in fact, be a terrifyingly reliable business model. So you do have to think that in a lot of different areas in life where contracts are complicated and, of course, mobiles, uh, banking, insurance, are where the contracts tend to get sophisticated enough that most people aren't reading the fine print on them. And so Spriggy is, I guess, then offering a level of transparency around this that helps people to understand their agency in these relationships. Well, I'd actually tweak it a little bit, um, and mostly from my own personal experience. I, I think... I don't really necessarily think the contracts will ever get any simpler, but if you grow up with a little more familiarity around money right. and it's not it's not such a painful exercise right. to spend 20 minutes reading something, you'll jump in. I know a hand, the 5% of us who are really good with our money and spend many, many hours of your life comparison shopping between home loans or right. investment products, they love getting into the detail. 
but that's because they have a, a literacy, a familiarity with it, and it's mm-hmm. not such a scary, daunting process. So in the same way that people have math anxiety or, mm. or reading anxiety, mm. and there are both of these, then in some ways we have that money anxiety that keeps us from actually taking advantage. Mm. Absolutely. It's just avoidance. It's a very natural coping response to not being familiar or comfortable in an area. All right. So what does our world look like? Or actually, let, let's step back a little bit. How close are you to launching now? We are now public. We're, we've got very fortunate to have... Uh, a pretty healthy body of early pre-signups. Okay. We're slowly delivering cards to them, making mm-hmm. sure the user experience is, is perfect before we launch to the broader public. Okay, and that's just in Australia. Mm, that's right. Now, because of the nature of financial systems, you'd really sort of have to spin up an entirely new business if you went into another national domain, like if you went to New Zealand or to Singapore or to the United States. Well, it's interesting you say. I think what we made a decision on very early is that we don't necessarily want to be a payments infrastructure provider of Mm -hmm. any kind. Our goal is really to be what we call an application-specific wallet, Mm -hmm. a collection of money in software, Mm -hmm. a representation of money in software that meets a specific user problem. Mm -hmm. And so we build all our architecture to be very portable, to be able to switch off our existing provider in Australia to another provider, or alternatively, to layer our wallet over any other payments provider in an international jurisdiction. So the business is built very much to be portable geographically. Okay. Are there regulatory requirements? Do you require a financial services license in Australia to do this? We operate under an exemption due to the size of our current program. Right. But once you cross that threshold, then you do require an AFSL. And you must be, as, as the founder, you must be thinking about what the requirements are around this. And I think this is actually important, both just at the startup level and thinking about payments as a business. Um, is that barrier going to be, by the, when, when you get there, is that barrier going to be formidable or is it just going to be more like a speed bump? I'd say a speed bump. I mean, knock on wood, I think it's always premature to right. say that anything regulatory will be simple. But there's a very natural model. We have to partner with somebody who owns the the plumbing mm-hmm. from the payment system, mm-hmm. and they're almost invariably licensed. Mm-hmm. And so participating as part of their license is a very natural pathway for the future so you of our business. effectively piggyback on mm-hmm. the fact that someone else is regulated, and mm-hmm. so that gives you uh, some respectability around Absolutely. this. All right. So, so you see... Your cards right now are going out in Australia, and they're going out. Now, if anyone's listening, and I suspect there are any number of parents listening to this program, how can they get on this initial list of releases? If they sign up today on our website, just go to spriggy.com.au, head to the sign-up page, enter your details, uh, then you'll be added to our list. And and it's really just a a matter of a couple of months until everybody on that list has their card. All right. So that then given when this will air, which is in the middle of September, that means that probably before Christmas that mm. could be presented to a child Absolutely. who might find that very interesting. Now, now that you have this, I guess, plug-in wallet platform, it seems like other people would be coming along to plug their own things into that platform, so their own services. And I'm thinking, you know, the kinds of things that I know kids spend money on 
through an electronic wallet, Steam, for example, mm. is the big one. There's probably a couple of others, but certainly almost every kid I know has a Steam account. And it seems like there would be some very natural connections between what you're offering as a product and the services that those folks are offering. Do you see that as a potential direction for you as well? So the kid would be able to say, okay, here's my Steam fund, and I'm only going to spend $10 on games this month, I <laughs> promise. In fact, I've made it clear that way. Yeah, I think absolutely. The, for us, I, the best thing we can do to maintain a, a bandwidth of communication with kids, a mm -hmm. channel of the, to talk about financial literacy, is to be as relevant as possible. Right. And I think by making partnerships with where they spend their money and time, I think is probably one of the quickest ways to maintain that relevance. And do you find that you're going to have to drive that or are those folks starting to come to you now? I think it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, when you start as a small startup, you have to go and find them. But the more users you have, the quicker they come to you. So where are payments going? I mean, we're not starting to see, and this show is very much around people who are taking a very specific little slice out of this vast sea of payments. Where are payments going? Are we starting to see payment, uh, in the same way that software is eating the world in so many other dimensions, is software eating payments now? I mean, that's my personal feeling. I think, you know, I spoke before about this idea of an application-specific wallet. Mm. I think you're going to see more and more, or at least I think that's the, the fertile part of the payment stack, that providing the infrastructure is becoming a more and more commoditized beast. Right. And then I think you've got some really serious players that sit on top of that, of doing the digital element of that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You know, the emergence of Apple Pay and, and, and Google Pay as well, uh, the Android Pay. And competing there would be very challenging to compete with the scale that they have. Right. But then solving that band of user-specific problems right. in any number of niches uh, with a modern digital experience that competes with the last app you opened on your phone rather than your mobile banking app <laughs> right. is, is really fertile ground. And we discovered that by accident. We talked to a bunch of users and it turned out the bit thing that they didn't have was something specific about parents and kids and money. And I think there's a whole range of opportunities like that. Mario, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks very much, Mark. We normally don't think about payments at all. You know, unless our credit card gets declined or an online transaction fails or, well, pretty much whenever something that is supposed to be smooth and invisible doesn't happen. And that tells us something, because every one of us are touched by payments all day long. Every transaction, even the cash transactions in this world, they create some sort of payment event somewhere. They're deeply embedded, and for that reason, we tend not to see them. Now, both EasyShare and Spriggy, they're showing us that this world of payments isn't just somewhere out there. It isn't just something that your bank cares about. It's right here. It's in your home. It helps you get your life in order. It helps you make the world work better for you. It's not weird. It's not alien. It's as domestic as paying the rent and as natural as learning how to save. That's just the beginning. We're starting at home. But we're going to do two more of these specials before the end of this year, and we'll go further afield next time to see how the changing face of payments is opening up new ground for startups and is having a real impact on the world. 
Now, once again, thanks to Braintree Payments for sponsoring this special episode because their support makes it possible. Thanks to Felix Wormuth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that's a joy to listen to. Thanks to John Bush, Walter Kazzi, and Mario Hasanakis for making the time to come on this payment special. We'll be back in about six weeks with our next payment special. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to the first payment special on This Week in Startups Australia.